U.S. oil is sold out for China. The Senate backing a measure to bar sales of strategic petroleum reserves to Beijing. The latest development in a Chinese hacking incident, taking aim at specific U.S. email accounts. Outside of cyberspace, are Chinese self-driving cars collecting American data? Lawmakers are pressing for answers. Plus, the real story of NTD's founding. Websites attacked, advertisers threatened, and one chief technology officer blindfolded to a chair and beaten. Stay with us to find out. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The China-U.S. push and pull continues, this time over oil. The Senate voted overwhelmingly to block China from buying oil from the strategic reserves. The emergency stockpiles are at a 40-year low after the Biden administration's 180 million drawdown last year, which aimed to lower oil prices. That's due to rising oil prices after Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the West sanctions. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin and Republican Ted Cruz sponsored the measure, which passed by a vote of 85 to 14. We know that China has been amassing the long, largest stockpile of crude in the world. At the same time, our own reserves have fallen to only 347 million barrels, the lowest since 1983. Last year, U.S. oil companies sold more than 83 million barrels to China. This year, the numbers are higher, with oil exports to China through April totaling more than 76 million barrels. This measure is an amendment in the NDAA, or National Defense Authorization Act, which sets policy for the Department of Defense. U.S. officials have always been concerned about sales from the reserve to China. They believe it could potentially hurt U.S. energy security while unintentionally bolstering an adversary. Similar legislation that passed the House in January, upping its chances of passing through all chambers and potentially getting signed into law. The fallout from last week's alleged Chinese hack against the U.S. is far from over. With over 25 U.S. government email systems breached, new developments reveal that even email accounts of top American diplomats have reportedly fallen victim. Which officials make up the latest targets? Let's zoom in. The hacking infiltrated accounts tied to Washington's ambassador to Beijing, Nicholas Burns and the State Department's senior envoy overseeing East Asia and the Pacific, Daniel Crittenbrink. That's according to Wall Street Journal on Thursday, citing three anonymous U.S. officials. They say it's part of a targeted intelligence-gathering campaign carried by Beijing earlier. Last week, the State Department said the hack was first discovered right around the time of Blinken's visit to Beijing in June. That campaign reportedly compromised hundreds of thousands of U.S. government emails including Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo's email account. CNN also reported that hack may have given China insights into Blinken's Beijing visit. But exactly how serious is this attack? Though the email of Secretary of State Antony Blinken was not breached, Crittenbrink had accompanied Blinken on his China trip last month, and Burns took part in meetings held with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. While Raimondo has been one of the most outspoken critics of Beijing, she is also expected to visit China by the end of the summer. U.S. officials insist no classified information was accessed. But experts say the inboxes of Burns and Crittenbrink could have allowed Chinese hackers to glean insight into U.S. planning for a recent string of China visits. Many U.S. officials have labeled the Chinese Communist Party the most advanced U.S. adversary in cyberspace. The FBI says China has a larger hacking program than all other countries combined.
Right on the heels of that hack, reports about more Chinese cyber intrusions are coming out. With targets ranging from government and military systems to media groups and major companies. According to cybersecurity firms and Western intelligence agencies, many of these Chinese hacking teams have Beijing support. Some of those identified go by names like Storm 0558, Volt Typhoon, Backdoor Diplomacy, APT 41, and APD 27. Those groups have been linked to a range of state-sponsored hacks on everything from U.S. critical infrastructure hubs to companies like Microsoft, plus the theft of millions of dollars in U.S. COVID-19 relief benefits. Outside American borders, other targeted entities include media, telecoms, and government systems in Kenya, Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, and Hong Kong, as well as German drug makers and technology companies. Beijing has denied involvement in those attacks and all forms of state-sponsored hacking. Instead, it has called itself a victim of cyber espionage and labeled Washington the empire of hacking, largely opposite to reports from the West. The U.S. zooming in on a hidden concern. It has to do with Chinese companies testing self-driving cars on American roads. Lawmakers are raising red flags, saying that the cars can use their built-in sensors to collect data on Americans and critical infrastructure. This data then runs the risk of ending up in Beijing's hands. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said on Thursday that his agency has concerns, adding that the U.S. needs to better understand who owns the companies that supply different parts of U.S. transportation systems. In a letter to Buttigieg, lawmakers said the data that these cars collect can give Beijing an unprecedented vantage point into the U.S. Beijing has already been using big data to track dissidents at home, and the same tactics could be deployed here in the U.S. That fear is bipartisan. The letter, now co-signed by Republican Congress members Tim Wahlberg and Bob Glatta, as well as Democrats Debbie Dingell and Mark Wiese. Seven Chinese companies tested their self-driving cars in California last year, including Baidu and RoboTaxi. China has strict restrictions on American companies that want to test vehicles on its roads, though Beijing already banned Tesla vehicles from driving near military facility over concerns that they could pick up Chinese data. A Chinese real estate developer is going back to court. His company facing a hefty fine. That's after he recently admitted to bribing a prominent public official in San Francisco. Here's more. Zhang Li, founder of a Chinese real estate development company, appeared in the U.S. District Court on Wednesday night. The 70-year-old was charged with bribing the former head of the San Francisco Department of Public Works, Mohamed Nuru. A U.S. company that Li owns, called ZNL Properties, was also charged with honest services wire fraud for providing bribes and gifts to Nuru in exchange for favorable city treatment of his property's mixed-use project at 555 Fulton Street in San Francisco. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Zhang bribed Nuru with food, drinks, luxury lodging, and transportation during a trip Nuru took to China in 2018. In a statement, First Assistant U.S. Attorney Patrick Robbins said, To those who seek to corrupt public officials in the United States, wherever they are, we will use the powers at our disposal to bring them to justice and hold them accountable to the rule of law. Zhang was originally charged in May 2021. He was arrested when he arrived in the United Kingdom in December 2022 and was extradited to the U.S. six months later.
under that agreement, if Zhang admitted to his charges, it would be dismissed in three years. In addition, ZNL Properties will plead guilty and agree to a remediation program designed to prevent bribery and corruption. It will pay a fine of $1 million. Another court hearing has been set for August 10th at 1.30 p.m. To date, more than 14 individuals and entities have been charged in connection to a larger set of investigations revolving around Mohammed Nuru and other public officials' corruption. Taiwan's Vice President Lai Qingde said he will stop by the U.S. And Beijing is angry. Monday, Taipei officially announced Lai's transit in the U.S. before he visits a South American country, Paraguay. The Chinese ambassador to America stepped out, calling Washington to address this matter after he found out the White House refused to interfere with Lai's transit. Here's what he said. And now the priority for us mm. is to stop Lai Qingde from visiting the United States. Lai is considered a front-runner in Taiwan's upcoming presidential race. As for the U.S. side, the White House responded by saying Beijing should not use Lai's trip as a pretext for brazen coercion or other provocative activities. Washington also expressed that it doesn't take sides, won't interfere in Taiwan's election, and expects Beijing not to interfere either. Taiwan's election day is marked for January, and Lai is seen as an even more aggressive advocate for the island's independence than current President Tsai Ing-wen. His statement last week that, quote, Taiwan's president should be able to visit the White House one day sparked immediate anger from Chinese authorities. For decades, the Chinese Communist Party has claimed Taiwan as part of mainland Chinese territory under its one China policy. The party has never ruled the island, and Taiwan staunchly denies Beijing's authority over it. Because of that, interaction between Washington and Taiwan is deeply concerning for China, with the U.S. as top global superpower and a long-running rival to Beijing. The U.S. acknowledges Beijing's policy, but has never recognized the Chinese Communist Party's superiority over the island. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has stressed that U.S. foreign policy on the issue hasn't and won't change quickly. The U.S. is bound by law to provide Taiwan with the means to defend itself, typically in the form of arms sales. A change in Hong Kong's leadership. Beijing has named a new national security chief for the city. The man was once China's top intelligence official. What could the change spell for Hong Kong and the world? Let's zoom in. Hong Kong's new appointee is Dong Jingwei, a former deputy minister of China's state security ministry, the country's most powerful intelligence agency. The ministry has played a major role in cracking down on foreign business in China, notably American firms. In 2021, Dong spoke of a people's war against espionage, vowing to not only catch spies, but to catch internal traitors, those who worked with alleged foreign spies. Dong will soon head to Beijing's Office for Safeguarding National Security in Hong Kong. But what is the office all about? It was established in 2020, just months after Beijing quelled protests and forced its national security law on the city. The office has broad investigative and surveillance powers, including oversight of foreign entities. The office's former head, Zheng Yanxiong, landed on the U.S. sanction list in 2021 over his role in the crackdowns that followed the security law. Dong's appointment comes when Hong Kong is mulling over another law called Article 23. If passed, it would cover espionage and treason, among other offenses not covered in the 2020 legislation. 
Critics say Beijing's new move would send shivers through international businesses in the region. With three years now passed, under Beijing's national security law, over 260 people have been arrested. Among them are pro-democracy activists, former opposition politicians and journalists. Some are facing a maximum sentence of life in prison. Last month, eight more overseas-based activists were added to Beijing's wanted list, each with a bounty of some $120,000 on their heads. Another big story to look out for, a tough task ahead. The CIA is working on rebuilding its spy networks in China after suffering a devastating loss of recruited agents more than a decade ago. Stay tuned for the full story Monday here on China in Focus. Coming up, a special segment to end today's show, an inside look at the founding of NTD. How does it tie into one of the most brutal human rights abuses in China? Websites attacked, advertisers threatened, and one chief technology officer blindfolded to a chair and beaten. And in light of all of this, how did the Epoch Times make it against all odds, going on to become America's fourth largest newspaper? Stay tuned for more after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Today we have a special segment for you, the backstory of our media. It's about a mission that seems almost impossible with no funding and limited experience. A group of Chinese Americans came together to establish a media outlet to give a voice to the voiceless under a campaign of brutal persecution in China. The Chinese Communist Party has worked to shut it down, even here on U.S. soil. How did our sister media, the Epoch Times, make it against all odds and grow to become the fourth largest newspaper in the U.S. today? The story starts with our founder, John Tung. Last week on the House floor, a South Carolina congressman, Ralph Norman, read the Epoch Times history into congressional record. When John Tang was earning his doctoral degree in physics at Georgia Tech in 1999, he never imagined that some 20 years later, he would be heading the fourth largest American newspaper by subscription count. His life took a turn after Beijing launched a persecution against one of the largest faith communities in the nation called Falun Gong. It's a spiritual meditation based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Practiced at the time by roughly one in every 12 Chinese, people would practice the slow-moving exercises in the morning in parks before going to work. In an attempt to demonize Falun Gong and to justify its persecution, the media played nonstop hate propaganda attacking this peaceful mediation group. John, who had immigrated to the United States, watched from afar in horror as friends were persecuted for their beliefs. He decided to take action. Despite having no experience or investment, he started Dijongyun, the Chinese edition of the Epoch Times, in the basement of the home in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. Tang had a wish to provide uncensored information to not only people in China, but to those around the world. 
Soon other Chinese Americans left their well-paying jobs to help John with this seemingly impossible endeavor. Kirk Wong, the current vice president of sales and marketing at the Upwork Times, was one of them. I quit my very decent job in Atlanta. At that time, we don't have any money. Uh, we don't have, I, I cannot get paid, but I, I'm very confident we can make enough money. One day we can survive. As long as I can survive, I really want to do this job. But in the early days, nothing was easy. Kirk's job took him to other cities. So to cut travel expenses, for nine years, he didn't come home often. So many people in our community will think my, my, my wife was a single mother. They are, they are curious, are you a single mother? And uh, every time I go to Atlanta airport, my wife and my daughter will drive our used van and uh, to the Mata station. But my, my daughter will cry secretly on the back seat of my used van every time. So until one time I told my daughter, and we talk about, and uh, you should not cry. And uh, because I'm a, helping the people by sharing the truth. Since there, she never again cried. But every time I think about this, I cried. Across the ocean, Beijing went after Epoch Times reporters for their coverage of the regime's human rights abuses. Within a few months, Chinese police raided the underground newsrooms, arresting every reporter and every editor. They were in prison, specifically Zhang Yuhui, and Xi Jinping, who received sentences of 10 years where they face frequent torture. Beijing has been trying everything to shut down the Epoch Times, even on U.S. soil. The party has threatened the newspaper's advertisers. They have launched incessant cyber attacks on its website and its IT systems, and it threatened relatives of staff members back in China. Attacks went beyond the digital realm, too. In 2006, the home of then Chief Engineer Peter Lee was broken into by assailants who tied him to a chair and beat him before stealing two computers. They, they thought he has a, a secret information, they, so beat him almost to death. So that's a price. But Wong said the violence didn't deter them. Because what, everything we do is for the people. We tell the truth. We didn't do anything wrong, so I'm not afraid of anything. Really, for us, every day we are so passionate. We just want to deliver the truth to people which are waiting for the truth. The Chinese edition quickly became a leading website on Chinese current events with millions of readers. Its print newspaper is now distributed nationwide to as well as in 30 other countries around the world. Every day, Chinese citizens break through Beijing's internet firewall to read the Epoch Times, but attacks from the Chinese regime persist. In Hong Kong in 2019, assailants started a fire in the newspaper's printing press. In 2021, armed men entered the building and used sledgehammers to smash printing equipment. But they, they can never win. The truth always prevails. The outlet even inspired a movement translated from Chinese as Quit the Chinese Communist Party or CCP. As a result of the Epoch Times publications of these special series, nine commentaries on the Communist Party, which provides the most thorough interview to date of the true nature of the CCP, more than 410 million Chinese people and counting have sought to sever their membership 
in this party and the affiliated organizations. Realizing that the CCP had put enormous effort into infiltrating the United States of America, especially media organizations, resulting in many U.S. media carrying the communist regime's propaganda. The Epoch Times launched its English language edition in 2003. Now, 20 years later... The Epoch Times independent reporting has attracted a large readership in the United States, now ranking as the fourth largest newspaper in the country by subscriber count. Tens of millions of people read the Epoch Times website every month. Just like its Chinese companion, the Epoch Times prides itself in being independent and serving the interest of the readers. Now, the Epoch Times is published in 22 languages across 36 countries. Folks, this is all about one word, freedom. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus.ntv.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.